Psalms chapter number 7 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read the entirety of the psalm. It's not very long. And uh, then I want to preach to you a little bit about dealing with conflict and dealing with persecution this morning. Psalms chapter number 7, verse number 1. The Word of God says, O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust, say law. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded." So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and digged it and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this opportunity to be in Your house. I pray that You take the Word of God, wield it this morning as a sword, Father, to do a piercing work, to do a dividing work, Lord, to do a slaying work of those things that would draw us away from You. Give us courage today as we hear the Word to be bold, to enjoin it unto ourselves and Lord, to embrace it and to obey it. Father, I pray that when we leave this place today, we wouldn't only be challenged, but we'd be changed. That eternal, an eternal work would be wrought in our hearts and minds and lives today that would bring you much glory. Lord, we love you. We'll be sure to thank you for it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read to you the little uh, header that is given to Psalms chapter number 7, because I believe it gives some illumination on what's going on in David's life at this time. And uh, the psalm itself gives some illumination about what's going on in his heart. And I think you'll find some very fascinating truths in this passage. It says in the little header, I'm sure yours probably has it in your Bible like mine, it says Shigeon of David. Now that word Shigeon, it means something that's disjointed or disconnected. Uh, but we think it's probably a musical term. It's only found uh, other than here. It's found, I believe, in the book of, of Malachi. And that's the only other place that it's found. But it says that this Shigeon of David, a psalm, a song of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. Now, when we read those words, you'll find if you read, study through your Bible, you won't find anybody, at least not a Benjamite, by the name of Cush. But you do find an instance uh, in the Old Testament that relates very closely to this in the life of David. Now, the term Cush, it means black. And it was often used in the Bible to denote someone that was of a black heart or someone that was villainous. 
And it's possible, there's a couple possibilities about who this man is. Three, I would say. One is it's possible he's a man that's not recorded in Scripture. And that this is the only mention of his name anywhere. Now, certainly there are folks that are mentioned only one time in Scripture. But I would find it odd for the Lord to bring his name up here and it not to have any bearing upon this psalm. Certainly there's something for us to glean from the inclusion of his name. Another possibility is that David could be writing about King Saul. Saul was the son of a man named Kish. And it's possible David is playing off of that relationship and uh, or playing off that name and is uh, sort of using it, changing it, using it in a derogatory name, using it as a nickname uh, for Saul. But then there's another possibility, and I find this to be the most likely. There's a man in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 16. Turn over there with me, if you will. In 2 Samuel 16, there's a man by the name of Shimei. Now again, if we believe that the word Cush used here is possibly a nickname, then certainly everything else about Shimei's behavior in life would line up with what the psalmist speaks about here in Psalms chapter number 7. Shimei was a Benjamite. We find out later on in his life that he outlives King David and uh, he winds up being put to death by Solomon. But only after Solomon had treated him with much grace and with an opportunity to redeem himself from the behavior that he displays here in 2 Samuel 16. But I want us to read this together, if you don't mind. And this takes place uh, when David is being exiled from Jerusalem. Uh, because of Absalom. Absalom, of course, has assumed the throne. He has, uh, he has uh, perpetrated a coup against his father and exiled David from his throne, from his house, from his city. And Absalom is now sitting upon the throne. And as David leaves out of Jerusalem, taking the same road, by the way, that would have taken him through the same garden, by the way, that many, many years later our Lord and Savior would take whenever he was exiled out of the city, counted as a male factor, and whenever he uh, left out and was put without the gate, as the Hebrews writer said. They called this road the King's Highway, and it led through the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. But as David is traveling out of the city... The Bible says in verse number 5 of 2 Samuel chapter number 16, When King David came to Behurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. Behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. The king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold, my son which came forth of my bowels seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. As David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. Now turn back over to the seventh psalm. I wanted you to frame that in your mind. 
Because what David is describing in Psalms chapter number 7, he finds himself in a place of intense persecution. In fact, he says in verse number 1, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me. David lived his life in constant peril. But I would think that this must have been a particularly intense time of persecution in which he wrote this. Uh, though he lived in constant peril, though there were enemies on every hand, many of the psalms that we read are of him rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord, even of him speaking of the uh, splendor and grandness of Jerusalem, the city that he reigned and, and ruled over. But evidently, at this moment in his life, David felt isolated, felt persecuted, felt exiled, felt cast out. And again, I'd remind you, you could probably say all these things about Saul, but certainly when we imagine the weary and humiliated king, in fact, the next verse, we didn't go on and read it, but 2 Samuel 16, 14 says, when they came, they were weary. And you can imagine, cast your mind's eye back to this scene as the entire city of Jerusalem is in an uproar and as they're crying out, long live Absalom, long live Absalom. And here's David and his company, ragged and weary and worn, leaving out of the city. And on either side, there's a crowd gathered to see the shamed and humiliated king. I would imagine, I've found this to be true, uh, that a lot of times when things are going good, uh, you have trouble finding those that spoke ill of you. But when things go bad, they come out of the woodworks. Am I right? Hey, listen, all you have to do is fall on hard times and there'll always be a crowd gathered around to see it happen. I saw something the other day that struck me. Uh, one of y'all might have even posted I can't remember on social media, but it said, don't put all of your problems on social media because 90% of people don't care and the other 10% are happy about them. Amen? I think there's a lot of truth there. <coughs> that 10% will come out of the woodworks and stand on either side of you as you go that walk of shame and humiliation. And that's what they were doing. And as they're traveling out of the city, here comes this loud mouth Shimei. This son of Saul, this son, he's not a son of Saul, but he's a descendant of Saul. This man of the house of Saul, Benjamite. And as David is being humiliated, as he is being shamed, as he is walking, having been exiled from his own city, here comes Shimei like a little dog. Some of y'all own those little dogs. You know what I'm talking about? What do you call it? A yapper. That's what that is. A yapper. You know, beep, 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 yapper. And uh, I don't know why you even buy them a squeaky toy. They are a squeaky toy. Somebody say amen to that. That's what they're meant. I'm about to make some people mad. That's what a little dog is. You know that, right? Little dog is a squeaky toy for a big dog. Amen? Here comes Shimei yapping along like a little dog and, and, and cursing at David and, and screaming at David and, and casting insult into the teeth of the humiliated king. And so Abishai, one of David's uh, mighty men, he does what most people would do. He walks over and he says, David, why are you putting up with that? Why don't you just let me go over and uh, exile his head from his shoulder? And we'll take care. We'll cut that yapping off right now. David turns and he does something astonishing. He looks at Abishai and he says, The Lord told him to yap. Let him yap. The Lord told him to curse. Let him curse. He said, My own son has kicked me out of this city. Why wouldn't he do it? And he says, Maybe, maybe through this persecution, God will bless me and will look on my affliction." Let me tell you something. In life, you're going to be confronted with some cushions. I didn't say some cushions. I said some cushions. 
you're, you're going to be confronted with people that are going to lie about you, that are going to criticize you without merit, that are going to laugh and cackle when you fall, when you get discouraged. You're going to have some people like Shimei that when your hardest times come are going to line up on either side to see the carnage. How can we react to such a situation? I believe in Psalm 7 we find a few truths about how we are to face the persecution of others. How we are to face the criticisms, the lying, the vitriol that others spew at us. And some of them I think you'll be fascinated by and won't expect to see. But I want you to look here in Psalms chapter number 7. Now, David begins by asking the Lord to save him, to deliver him. And it's interesting, this is part of the reason I think that what David is saying relates to the idea of words, not of works, because he says in verse 2, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. He's not necessarily talking about outward physical danger, but he's talking about an inward malady and affliction of the soul. And then he says this in verse number 3. He says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity, in my hands. If I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is my enemy. But he says, if I've done all these things, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust, say law. Let me say number one to you this morning. When facing someone like Shimei or Cush or when facing the criticisms, the persecution of any person, the first thing you ought to face it with is with consideration. Listen, there is a great danger in building a bulwark for ourselves of our own self-righteousness. Listen, there's some people you'll meet, uh, if something goes wrong, you might as well not even ask them if it was their fault, because ain't nothing their fault. And there's a real danger in us, whenever we come into affliction, chastening, persecute, whatever you want to call it, in assuming victimhood. I said to my Sunday school class this morning that the greatest currency in the world that we live in today ain't the British pound, it ain't the American dollar, uh, it's not Bitcoin, amen? If you've been watching it, it ain't doing well at all. It ain't none of those things. The greatest currency today is victimhood. And it's real easy, even as a Christian, to embrace an attitude of victimhood. Where anybody that speaks anything against you, they must just be trying to tear you down. I got news for you. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's going to be times in your life and mine where we're going to need to hear things that we don't want to hear. And David faces it with the humility of recognizing that he's not perfect. I see a few things in his consideration. I see, number one, that he allows for his own failure. You might have heard me say this before, but I've been told in pastoring, you won't believe this, what I'm about to tell you. But I have every every now and again been told, Preacher, you think you're right all the time. You ever heard that? I was talking to a group of preachers the other day. And uh, I don't know, we were just talking about ministry and this and that. And one of them made the statement said, I have never, he's pastor for a few years, he said, I've never had anybody come to me and tell me that they were leaving because of me. We're talking about all the reasons people give for leaving the church. He said, I've, I've never had anybody come to me and tell me the reason they were leaving was because of me. And I sat back and I said, I'm trying to remember the first time somebody told me they were leaving because of me. 
Hey, I, I, listen, I've been told I've had people leave because I preach too much. I've had people leave because I don't preach enough. I've had people leave because the music's too wild. I've had people leave because the music's too dead. I've had people leave because we do too much for the young people. I've had people leave because we don't do enough for the young people. It don't matter what it is, there's always going to be an excuse. Amen? And I find this, listen, a hundred percent of people that quit church do so because they want to. And you say, where'd you get that 100% statistic? I made it up just like they make up their excuses. What I'm saying is this. When you're a pastor, you hear it a lot. And you kind of know. You learn to filter it. But the danger in it is this. That you grow an immunity to the possibility that you are wrong. And we all have a tendency to... We look at the foolishness of man. We think we're the smartest person in the world. And we imagine that us, we, ourselves, could never be wrong. There's a great danger in this. I'm serious. There's a great danger in it. And people say, Preacher, you think you're right all the time. Duh. Everybody does. You do too. You might not have nerve enough to say it, but you do. You think you're right all the time. Everybody does. Here's where true meekness and humility comes in. Nothing wrong with thinking you're right all the time, but you've got to allow for the possibility that you could be wrong about some things. I believe I'm right about everything. If I find I'm not, I change it. That's what we ought to do. But the key is allowing for the possibility that, hey, I don't know everything. I could have messed something up. I could have done something wrong. And David, the first thing he does, not because it benefits Shimei, but because it benefits him, is he says, Lord, is it possible that this man's right? If you're confident in your actions, then why would you be afraid to ask that? If you're sure you didn't do anything wrong, then why are you afraid of counsel? Why are you afraid of the antiseptic of light being shined upon your behavior and upon your actions? Listen, it's a dangerous thing when we won't accept counsel. It's a good sign that we're insecure in what we're doing. And when a person won't allow... Now listen, you say, well, preacher, there are certain things we know are true and right. That's absolutely right. Anything in this book, I don't have to wonder if it's right. But anything that's been birthed of this heart or this mind, I'm an, I'm a fallible person. There's a possibility I've done something. Hey, listen, he allows for his own failure. But then verse number 4, he says something very interesting. He stops in the middle of what he's saying. And he says, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's some people that automatically assume they haven't done anything wrong because they don't ever do anything wrong. But then there's some on the other side that become men-pleasers because they're so terrified of conflict and they're so terrified of confrontation that they will immediately appropriate and accept guilt regardless of whether they have done anything wrong. We see this all the time. I was telling the class this morning, it's it's shocking to see these multi-million, million-dollar companies changing their entire policies because a handful of people protest or make some complaint or make some this or that. And they're getting hurt by it, friend. They're getting hurt by it. I don't know about you, but I ain't been in a Target in a long time. Hey, listen, I I quit shaving with these 16-edged razors long ago. But I'll tell you this, I ain't going to be buying nothing from Gillette. Because a, a, a small vocal minority makes a noise. And it's easier for them to inconvenience everyone else than it is for them to be able to face the confrontation. That's what a money-driven world does. And what I'm saying is this, there is a danger in automatically assuming your guilt. Notice what he does. He affirms his faithfulness. 
He says, it is possible I'm wrong. But is it in my character? Is it in my nature to be this way, to do this way? Now, I understand in sin nature, it's always within our nature. But what he's saying is this. He's saying, is it possible that I've wrongly afflicted someone? And then he backs up and he says, that don't make a lot of sense because I could have killed Saul many times and I didn't. I could have killed other people many times and I didn't. I have proven myself to be a faithful person. And so I can have confidence that in this very thing, both by looking at the details around it and by considering my own record and history of behavior, that I'm probably not wrong here. Then he does something that balances both of them. He asks for fairness. He says, Lord, it's possible I've done something. I don't think I have. I know I've been living right. I know I've been doing right. I have a history of doing the right thing. But it's possible. So, Lord, you judge between us. If I've done this, then let me fall. But if I've not, then, Lord, deliver me. When facing confrontation, conflict, persecution, however you want to characterize that, it's important that we recognize there's a possibility that we have brought it on ourselves, that we have done it. Look at your life, consider it, weigh the evidence, and at the end of the day, leave it in God's hands. Because God knows who's right and God knows who's wrong. You know what we want to do? We want to straighten them out. We want to defend ourselves. But that's not what David does. First thing, instead of saying that dog, shimmy he says, could I be the dog? Could I be the one that's done this? Is it possible? He meets it with consideration. Then notice number two, he meets it with confidence. Look at verse number six. I love this. David says, Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. Notice this next phrase. Awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. When you're facing persecution, you ought to face it with confidence in three things. One, in the guarantee that is provided of God's righteous judgment. David says, you've commanded this, Lord. (coughs) Excuse me, you've instructed this. You have foreordained that judgment would take place. We as Christians, as Bible believers, and i got news for you. In the world we're living in, things ain't about to cool down. They're about to crank up. It ain't going, if I've read my Bible right, it ain't going to get no better, and I believe I have, amen? It ain't going to get no better. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, and more and more Christians are going to be abused, taken advantage of. And Listen, I ain't trying to pour mouth. There's a lot of folks been through a lot worse things than us in the West have had to endure over the last uh, hundred years. There ain't, I mean, we, ain't, we haven't faced the persecution that a lot of folks have, but we just might. And as such, we better steady our hearts on the reality that God is a just God. And He guarantees, maybe in this life or in the life to come, but sooner or later, God is going to set everything right. Look at verse 7. He says, So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. He has confidence in the guarantee that is provided. Number two, he has confidence in the glory that is produced. He says, Lord, if you show up, and if you, if you plead my cause, and if you judge this man, and if you show that I'm a right, then it's going to cause all of Israel to gather about you. They won't be paying attention to me. They'll be paying attention to you. You know, I found this. Whenever we find ourselves in the midst of contention with somebody, that impulse to get back at them, that impulse to set them straight and to make them right, it's born out of pride. You know what we want to do? We're trying to defend ourselves. We're trying to say, I want to show them that I won't be treated this way. But if we step back and let God do it, you know what's going to happen? Uh, Their focus is not going to be on me or you. Their focus is going to be on the God that has adjudicated this situation aright. 
The fact is, God gets glory out of everything. You might not like it, you might not long for it, but God will get glory even out of your persecution. In fact, the Bible says as much. But all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But God can derive glory out of that situation if we'll approach it in the right spirit. Not only of the glory that is provided, but look at verse 7 at the end of it. He says, for their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. David says, I might be going through this, and he describes it differently when he's talking to Abishai. Remember, this is the prayer that he makes to God in his heart. But when he speaks to Abishai, he says, the Lord may look on my infliction and requite good for me because of his cursing. David here unpacks a little more and he says this, Lord, I may be enduring this so that you can show yourself to be mighty and to be just. And through that process, all the eyes of Israel be laid upon you. And in that way, you're doing it not just for your benefit, but you're doing it for their benefit, and you're doing it for my benefit. Wing rest assured, listen, beloved, that whatever we're going through, and this is persecution, is not just only included, it is mainly included. We can rest assured that there'll be good that is produced and performed out of it. You may not be able to see how. You may not be able to connect all the dots and and make all the gears and pistons work in your mind. But at the end of the day, the God that sits on the circle of the earth has promised that all things shall work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That means if God permits this in your life, then He endeavors to bring good out of it. So He meets it with confidence. I want you to notice verse number 8. He meets it with concentration. And I like what He says in verse number 8, especially if you read it unbroken. It says, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity that is in me. I found this that in the world we live in, for a lot of folks, all it takes to spiral them out of control is to not agree with them. You met anybody like that? It's funny, man. It's like society one day woke up and just started to believe everybody agreed with them. And then when they're confronted with somebody that says, you know, I don't see things the way that you do, their entire world and universe just collapses like a black hole, like a dying star. We live in a day where we are very much about everybody else's business. And we are very much paying attention to what everyone else is doing. But David says this, the Lord's going to judge the people. I'm not here to judge Shimei. I'm not here to straighten him out. I'm here to see to me. The Lord's going to judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. There's a lot of folks that when they come face to face with criticism and persecution, they allow it to derail them. wonder how many folks are sitting at home in Knoxville, Tennessee that used to go to a Bible-believing church, but they're sitting at home because somebody said something ugly to them. Because somebody had something to say maybe about a way that they were living or a decision that they had made. And they didn't want the faithful wounds of a friend. And they weren't willing to give grace in the situation of the tactless words of another believer. They just went all to pieces and they're sitting at home somewhere watching T.D. Jakes on the TV pretending like they're having church. He ain't in the building. You ain't got to be scared of him. Potter's house. The Potter's house. There's a lot of... You know he's a heretic, right? Listen, we're providing you lunch. You ain't got nowhere to go. You know he's a heretic, right? He denies the Trinity. He's a oneness Pentecostal. 
You know what that means? It means they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe in what they call modalism. The idea that it's okay, we're going to get back to Cush and Shimei and all that good preaching here in a moment. But since I brought his name up, we might as well just sit here for a little bit and, and let me warn you, it's dangerous. It's dangerous, and that's just one of the dangerous things about him. We can go down a list of a lot of TV preachers and talk about a lot of dangerous things. It don't matter how funny he is. It don't matter how quote-unquote good of a preacher he is. If he ain't sound, then we ought to just mute the sound. There's a lot of folks sitting at home thinking they're having church today. They got mad. They got upset. Somebody offended them. Somebody said something cross. How would we ever... Let me tell you something. If World War II was going on today, we'd lose it in 20 minutes. Some, we'd be sitting in the foxhole. Somebody say something about our hairdo. We'd get mad and go AWOL. Christians better toughen up. The battle is hotter today than it's ever been. Christians better toughen up. There's a lot of folks sitting at home today. I hope they're not our folks. Maybe they are. But no, not David. David keeps concentrated, focused on the task at hand. Instead of getting all upset, getting all sour, he says, the Lord's going to judge the people, but the Lord's also going to judge me. Don't let the criticism or persecution of others rob you of your focus on serving the Lord. Listen, if, they, if they're wrong and if they do you that way, they sure ain't worth getting out of church over. They sure ain't worth quitting on God over. Ain't nothing worth quitting on God over. He kept his concentration on three things. One, on his jurisdiction. He said, the Lord will deal with him. I'll deal with me. Number two, on his condition. Look at verse number nine. He says, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. find it interesting that he uses those terms plurally. Hearts and reigns. You know what I think he was saying? God's going to deal with Shimei's heart. God's going to judge Shimei's heart, but He's also going to judge my heart. Uh, you know, one of the great traps of the devil is to cause somebody to do something contrary, offensive, critical, negative, whatever you want to call it, against you, and then use that to get your heart wrong with God. Get your heart... Listen, the, the proper response to badness is not bitterness. But that's the devil's trap. He ain't trying to get them, beloved. He already has them. Or he couldn't use them in that way. It's you he's trying to get. And if he can get your focus off the Lord and off you seeing your spiritual condition, then he's won. He's done what he set out to do. There's been a lot of folks that when something, when some conflict arises, they let it allow them to grow bitterness in their heart. Maybe not bitterness towards the church, maybe not bitterness towards the preacher, but bitterness towards that individual. And they allow it to grow hate in their heart, and thereby the devil ensnares them. He kept his focus on his jurisdiction, on his condition. Look at verse 10. David says this, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. When, when criticism, persecution, conflict, contention, whatever it is, comes into your life, keep your focus on your jurisdiction, your condition, but also keep your focus on your salvation. David said, my eyes ain't on Shimei. I ain't worrying about him. My eyes are on the Lord. The Lord always does right. He knows what's right in this situation. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. The greatest remedy, the greatest path, the greatest course 
in these situations is always to keep your eyes on the Lord. The Hebrews writer said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the Father. You know what the, the Hebrew writer then goes on to say? He goes on to say, ye have not yet striven unto blood resisting against sin. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you ain't gone as far as Jesus has. You just go ahead and keep your eyes on Him. He'll lead you aright. Listen, don't get your eyes off the Lord. Keep focused on Him. I don't think you're going to like this next point, but it's in the message. We've crossed the Rubicon. We're going to preach it. Look at verse 11. David says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. You know what I think David was saying here? Here's Shimei, and at that moment, Shimei has the upper hand. Shimei is of the house of Saul. He's always felt as an outsider, as someone that has been exiled in his own city. Just a few short years earlier, he was part of the royal house. Now he's an outcast. But now the tables have turned. Now he is back in good graces. And David is the one that has been exiled out of his own city. And it would be tempting in that situation for David to despise Shimei. There's something, though, that David knew that Shimei didn't know. God had appointed and had ordained and had covenanted with David that David would sit upon the throne of Israel. Shimei, I don't know what his belief was. It would appear from some of the things that other people said around this situation that they believed David was gone for good. But David knew he was only gone for a little while. I think the tone with which David speaks these words is that of pity and compassion. This is hard. I don't like preaching this any more than you like hearing it. But when people criticize, lie on you, persecute you, set about to hurt you and to destroy you, what's the proper way to react towards them? Well, our Lord gives us the right example. As they had nailed Him to the cross, He looked down and He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. David says, poor Shimei, he ain't got the sense God gave a dog. He doesn't know that his time is limited. He doesn't know that he has literally set himself in opposition of the agenda of God Almighty. Right now he's gloating, but pretty soon he's going to be cast down. And so he looks at him with compassion. How can you have compassion on those that are trying to hurt you? How can you take pity on those that are trying to destroy you? I think David recognized three things. One, I think he had compassion on Shimei because of the peace that he lacked. He says in verse 11, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. At the end of the day, had David had the throne ripped away from him, if David had been hunted down like a wild beast out in the wilderness and hung from a tree and left for the birds of the air to devour his body... He still had something more than what Shimei had. We like the idea. Somebody's trying to destroy us, persecute us, afflict us, lied against us, criticized us. We rest in the idea of one day God will get back at them. You know what a greater truth is? Even if God doesn't, we're still in better shape than they are. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, We're not careful to answer thee in this matter, O king. We know that the God whom we serve is able to deliver us 
and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. But if not, but if not, be it known unto thee that we will not bow nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know what they said? They said, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the day, even if you heat that furnace, even if you throw us in, even if you take our physical life, what we have is still better than what you have. You know why people try to destroy the lives of those living for God? One of two reasons. Either they're lost and they despise the Christ that is in us. Or two, they're saved and out of the will of God and they resent the conviction that is produced from our life. Now listen, there's a possibility you've done something wrong, possibility I've done something wrong, but if we know we haven't, if we have sounded those depths and God has confirmed in our heart that we've not done anything to bring this upon us, then that's not cause to despise someone that is actively afflicting us. It's cause to pity them and have compassion. Listen, they do that. Some folks just want to see the world burn. Some people just like to see other people hurt. And the reason is because of the emptiness that they feel on the inside. That shouldn't give us cause for spite, but for pity. I think he had compassion because of the peace that he lacked. Number two, because of the peril that he lived in. Look at verse 12. David says, if he, (coughs) meaning Shimei, turn not, then he, talking about the Lord, will wet his sword. He, talking about the Lord, hath bent his bow and made it ready. He, talking about the Lord, hath also prepared for him, Shimei, the instruments of death. He, the Lord, ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. You know what? David recognized that though it seemed as though Shimei was on the upside of life, it seemed as though he had been cast down. David recognized that Shimei was one missed heartbeat away from having to face an angry God. At the end of the day, no matter how secure the world claims to be, they are but a few moments from being cast into peril and damnation. They may have the upper hand right now. It's going to shock us. You know, the Lord showed that to Asaph in the 37th Psalm, or the 73rd Psalm. Asaph was discouraged because of the wicked. And then he says, until I went into the house of the Lord. And then I realized that their foot slippeth. Their destruction draweth nigh. They may seem like they've got the upper hand now, but in a moment, all of that could change. The security you and I as believers have in the Lord is eternal. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But what they have in life could be gone in a moment. The Lord would say to them as He did to the man with the full barns, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And then I'd like for you to notice He had compassion on him because of the peace that he lacks and the peril he lived in. He also had compassion because of the pit that he lands in. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down upon his own pate. In other words, David says this, This is as good as it gets for Shimei. He is ordained, if he continues down this path, to judgment and to destruction. You know how you can have pity upon those that are afflicting and persecuting and ill-treating you? Is to remember 
that things only get worse for them from here. I had a preacher that said one time, don't ever begrudge the lost of the things that they enjoy in life because this is as good as it gets for them. Don't ever get discouraged about the things that we face because this is as bad as it gets for us. Hey, listen, somebody that's uh, lost treating you ill or even somebody that's saved but out of the will of God, they're going to have to answer for the way that they've lived. God's not going to let anything escape His righteous judgment. Instead of being bitter, instead of begrudging them, instead of despising them, we ought to pity them because God has appointed a day of judgment in which they're going to have to answer. Got one more thought, then I'm done. If we wanted to eat, and I could have kept you 20 minutes longer, but I don't want the... I, I, some of y'all out there sharpening pitchforks right now, I can see it. Look at verse 17. David closes the psalm with an astounding statement. Now remember, let me just read the first verse of this psalm again. O Lord my God, in Thee do I put my trust... Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest ye tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there is none to deliver. He says, Lord, I'm at the edge. I can't take much more. I need your help. By the end of the psalm, he says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. When we are facing the affliction and persecution of others, we ought to meet it with consideration. Look at the situation. You could be wrong. You don't know. And if you're right, you don't need to feel bad as though you're wrong. Let the Lord be the one that adjudicates that matter. Let Him be the one that tells you whether you're right or wrong. Not your pride. Not your guilt. Let the Lord be the one. We ought to meet it with confidence. Confidence that the Lord's going to right every wrong, that He's going to bring good out of this, that He's going to get glory out of it. We ought to meet it with concentration. Don't worry about everybody else and what they're doing. Keep your focus on the Lord, serving Him, living for Him, your heart being right with Him. We ought to meet it with compassion. Because at the end of the day, that person lying about you is in a lot worse shape than you are, despite their lies. And finally, we ought to meet it with commendation, with praise for the Lord. It's like David reaches a point where he says, well, I'm done talking about this. I'm just going to start praising God anyway. I'm done talking about what they've done to me, what God's going to do to them, what I might have done to them. I'm done talking about what could happen, what should happen, what will happen. I just want to get my focus back on the Lord. And I've made my mind up, no matter what happens, I'm going to praise Him for His righteousness. If, if how much you praise God is based upon everybody else's righteousness, you ain't going to praise Him very often. If how much you praise the Lord is even based on your own righteousness, how good you are, how flawless you are in navigating this world, you're not going to praise Him very often. But if you've made your mind up that your attitude towards God, your spirit of worship is going to be predicated on the Lord and His righteousness, well, He's the God that changeth not. And no matter what men do to you, no matter what mistakes you make, you'll always be able to find reason to praise Him. I just wrote three things down here, and then my introduction will be done, and then we'll preach a sermon. No, I'm joking. Lock the doors, don't let them go. He said he's going to praise God instead of, number one, complaining. Complaining. You can't complain and praise God at the same time. Praising God will help you. Complaining don't help anybody. 
There's never been once. There's never been a war fought where they said, you know, men, let's just gather the army together and complain about it. There's never been a building built where the engineers said, we need a little more complaining over in this corner if it's really going to be right. Why would we think that complaining is going to help anything? We want to keep our focus on the Lord and make up our mind. You'll, you're, listen, your breath is a lot better spent praising God than it is complaining over your situation. Instead of complaint, but also instead of criticism. You know what we want to do? They poke at us, we won't poke right back at them. They criticize us. Well, let me tell you something about them that they didn't tell you. It's a waste of time. At the end of the day, all you're doing is is fostering and breeding more bitterness and doing the will of Satan. Instead, David says, instead of sitting around criticizing them, I'm going to sit around praising the Lord. Instead of talking about all the bad that they're doing, why don't we just sit around and talk about all the good that God's doing? Hey, you'd be amazed how it helped your family, your home, your walk with God, your attitude, your spirit, if you just set your mind to find things to praise God for, no matter what's going on. And then he decides he's going to just commend the Lord, praise the Lord, instead of conspiring. Instead of saying, I'll get back at him. He says, I'll just let the Lord deal with him. And I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. Remember, the devil ain't after them in that situation. He's already got them. He's after you. A Christian is defined not by their actions, but by their reactions. If he can get you to react in the wrong way, he's got you. He's got you. We need to, listen, we need, we need to get a little more far-sighted, a little less near-sighted in the way we do this thing. And we need to recognize that there's great parallels for us when people persecute us, not because they're going to have their way, but because the devil and the flesh can have their way in our lives if we allow them to do so.